Hey there, this is Dennis Anyone with Dennis Hensley. It's a podcast about making things up and making things happen. This week, my guest is Karsten Castellan. He's an old friend of mine, and I did this interview when I was in Germany, in Berlin, uh, visiting the city for the first time, and I stayed with Karsten for a few days, and I hadn't seen him in probably 17 years, since like 99, maybe 2000. We met when we were both entertainment journalists, and we would go to the international junkets. I was writing for British Premier at the time, and he was um, writing for a German outlet, and we'd go to the Four Seasons and all these junkets, and we just got to be friends that way. I actually named a character about him, uh, a character after him in my book, Misadventures in the 213. Um, but before we get to the interview, um, I just want to encourage you to go to DennisAnyone.net. You can um, email me through there. You can see some pictures that go with the different podcasts, and you can also donate to my virtual tip jar. Um, it helps me pay for the expenses that come up uh, with doing the podcast, and I really, really appreciate it. So without any further ado, I want to uh, go to the interview, and I also need to say I had a really bad cold um, when I was there, and so I hope I don't sound, I sound bad, but I hope it's bearable. And I tried to let Carson do most of the talking. So check it out. All right. I'm coming to you from the Berlin apartment of my friend, Carson Castellan. I have a bit of a cold, so I'm going to sound a little different. But hopefully he'll do most of the talking. Um, he's been very kind to let me stay in his place while I've been in Berlin. It's my first time in the city. We've had such a good time. We certainly did. We just came from Gay Bingo, and I think now you're devoted to Gay Bingo. Absolutely. You're going to go every week at this place called Blonde. Blonde. And I'll never play bingo straight any time in my life again. Yeah, so yeah, you can't go straight. Once you go gay with bingo, you can't go back. But we had a great time. We, what else did we do? We, we did a boat trip down the Spree for like an hour, an hour and a half. Learned yeah. the, and that was beautiful on the river. Um, we went up in this balloon... Overlooking all of Berlin, exactly. Yes, but it, it goes straight up. It's not like you take a balloon ride, but you go straight up. Yeah, it's a stationary one. It's on wires, and they just bring you up, and uh, uh, and you look down. That's pretty much it, but it was pretty great, actually. It was pretty cool, and uh, we saw two movies, because we both love movies. Uh, we saw Gold with Matthew McConaughey at a press screening at 10 in the morning. Um, at a really nice theater, though. What was the name of that theater? Oh, that was the Astor Film Lounge. It's one of those premium theaters where they charge you a little bit more, but uh, have much better seats. You have a footstool. Yeah, the seats were so comfortable, I fell asleep twice, and this was actually during a good movie. And you liked it. But we saw Life the night before with Jake Gyllenhaal and Ryan Reynolds and somebody else. Oh, uh, Ferguson from... Rebecca Ferguson, yeah. Yes. That was kind of lame. Kind of lame. Yeah, I, I mean, mean... you know, my nickname for it was uh, Zero Gravitas. <laughs> but what's so funny about it is Jake Gyllenhaal brings this uh, aura of I'm taking it all very seriously. Like, Ryan Reynolds could be in a bad movie and kind of get it and own the joke a little or whatever. But Jake, Jake brings with him, I take this all very seriously. So when he's in a movie that's popcorny, it's... It's double the... Yeah, for him it's like it's popcorny for all mankind. And that kind of... That doesn't rhyme, does it? No, it doesn't at all. So anyway, we, we've had a blast. And um, Carson and I met in the 90s when we were both doing entertainment journalism in Los Angeles. And we, and we would meet at Junkets. Because I'd be writing for British Premiere. 
And you'd be who were your German outlets at the time? Oh, it was a magazine called Marabo. It was like um, like an LA magazine type of thing for an area of Germany. Right. So we meet at the Four Seasons. We take turns interviewing celebrities. Sometimes there's five of us around a table, and it was all about eating the food at the Four Seasons. Right. Absolutely. And I would literally, it was all I could do not to take a doggy bag because the food was so good, and sometimes the junketing was kind of demoralizing. Sometimes it was great, but we became friends from that. Absolutely. And I actually named a character Karsten in my novel Misadventures in the 213, a German character. But I think he was kind of a jerk in the book. <laughs> he wasn't just a jerk. He was a... Uh, I don't remember. I just yeah, remember yeah. I liked the name. He but. was uh, the director of the writing crop and uh, oh. the megaphone and really abrasive and German, of course. Of German, that, of course. That kind of uh, goes quite, right. uh, quite well. Uh, but I was actually honored that you... Um, it's like uh, it's like for actors, you really want to be the villain. There you go. And you could have just named a very nice, sweet guy after me. No, I wanted to be the asshole. Okay, good. I'm glad, because I don't even remember. But your name has such a nice ring to it, especially with your last name, Karsten Castellan. Do you think that that is a great byline name? Did it? Were you born with that great name? I was born with that, and uh, actually, uh, the way my mother tells it, uh, the uh, nurse came and said, have you thought of a name yet? And uh, mother said, yes, uh, Karsten. And the nurse uh, apparently went, Karsten Kastler, our stage name. I'm on this earth for 15 minutes and they're already making fun of my name. No, they're making it because it's a great name. They're not making fun of it. They're like going, that sounds like a wonderful person. That person should be a star. Exactly. I must have taken a wrong turn on that one. Oh, but well, there you go. What You left L.A. in like 99. So there's so many new things. The Grove. You don't know about The Grove? Um, I've never seen the subway. You've never seen the subway? What do you miss about L.A.? Like, are there places that you like to eat or, like, things about being there that you're, you're like, oh, man, I would love that right now? I mean, mostly, yes. I miss Gaucho Grill. I miss uh, Cantor's and all the great food. Cantor's is still there. Gaucho, there's, like, one in the valley. But you could maybe get your fix. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, of course, um, uh, God, the great burger chain. I, I, we just talked about it. In and out. In and out. That's what a hamburger's yeah, all about. Yeah. So I miss those. Um, uh, what I mostly miss is actually um, uh, the fact that you're amongst uh, so many interesting people. Yeah. Lots of jerks too. Uh, but some of them will become celebrities. Yeah. I met this bald guy who was the director of a short film. He turned out to be Vin Diesel. What was he like when you met him? It was like when he did that... What was his short film called? It was called Multifacial. Multifacial, exactly. What was he like? Was he a hotshot? He already was. He had this manager, even though there wasn't that much to manage, except right. for getting him girls. He was already a pussyhound. He was a pussyhound. Because he's, he's one of those ones that the gay guys secretly kind of wish he was gay. But he wasn't. He was a pussyhound. No chance. No, okay. No, it's okay. I'm not, I mean, I'm not, I don't wish on it every day, but... He's somebody that you don't know much about his personal life. Mm, really yeah, he, he might be ACDC, but I just do yeah. know that he uh, likes women and he... Um, it's a funny story. I might get in legal trouble about that, but I'll tell it anyway. Well, pretend you're talking about an actor named um, Dan Wiesel. Uh, yes. No, tell uh, me about uh, Dan it, it will be Tom Unleaded. Okay. And uh, Tom Unleaded had a premiere of a movie that was called Triple Z. Right. And uh, during that premiere party, he pointed to a lot of girls and said, oh, you'll all come back to the suite. And he always had this huge entourage. 
but uh, these girls were just there uh, to uh, for his uh, buddies to have fun with. He, he actually ordered three professionals uh, because he wanted to slap them around a bit. Holy shit. I mean, he, they were nicely paid. They knew what they were in for. I gotta come to Germany more often for these stories. Wow. <laughs> All right. But again, this is not about Vin Diesel. Yes, and no, it's about some other person. <laughs> Tom Unleaded was the bad guy. Yeah, totally, totally, totally. I forgot to mention the show we went to. Yes, Burkhard Klausner. Burkhard Klausner is a wonderful German actor and entertainer. Uh, American audience might know him as the preacher from The White Ribbon. Yes. And uh, he has this uh, chanson series where he just goes out with a um, very nice band. Um, Burkhardt is a very old school guy, and I mean this in the best sense of the world. He sang the lovely. He sang putting on the Ritz. Come on. Tells funny stories in between French yes. chansons, uh, old German songs, <laughs> and um, no, I, uh, I, I, um, this is really. I mean, yeah, I'd say if there was a really nice, had, if there ever had been a really nice Frank Sinatra, that would be Burkhardt. He was so sweet afterwards, and he was also in the Reader. I think if you saw his face, you'd be like, oh, I've seen that guy and stuff. He's so nice. Exactly. And the venue. Tell them about the venue. Oh, yes. It's the Bar Jeder Vernunft. Okay, now I have to go into a little bit of translation because uh, it means, uh, it's, uh, it's actually a saying, it's like um, uh, far from any rhyme or reason. Right. Uh, but the far would be bar, or without actually, which of course also means bar. Perfect. So it's the bar without rhyme or reason. And it's a, a big tent. Um, with uh, yeah, like like a, a very nice circus tent and like a cabaret. Uh, that's the vibe, and you can order food, and uh, they bring you your drinks. It's uh, it's kind of in the spirit of the old style cabarets of the uh, 1920s here in Berlin. Yeah, Sally Bowles might have performed there before she got Sally that Sally Bowles abortion. would have dreamt to perform there. That's right. Sally Bowles wasn't quite up to that. Yeah, don't forget, Sally Bowles was, uh, she was never a star. She wanted to be one. That's right. That's right. Um, we also, well, I'm trying to think of what, oh, I also went to the, um, Checkpoint Charlie Museum, and there were all of these things about how people escaped from East Berlin into West Berlin, but, like, they actually had the suitcase, and that you could see a body smashed up in there, and it, it was just fascinating and, and really cool. Now, you've also written for things that my listeners might have read, Hollywood Reporter. Mm -hmm. Do yeah. you prefer to write in English or German, or does it matter? I prefer to write in English. You prefer to write in English. Does it come harder or easier? Easier. It comes easier in English. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I, um, I pretty much everything I read is uh, in English. Right. My favorite authors are usually American or sometimes British. Um, I watch movies only in original language, and since I have a kind of predilection for American films too, there it goes. And uh, I have this saying that... Um, I have a leg up on some other uh, um, English writers because they learned uh, they learned the uh, language in the kindergarten, right? And I learned uh, English from Fitzgerald, Hemingway, Thornton Wilder. Uh, it's not that I'm bad; I make mistakes and I don't speak English. But uh, when I sit down and concentrate, I can kind of channel them because I um, I emulated them. That was your first exposure to the language. Was mm -hmm. great writers. That's Absolutely. really cool. Um, where did you live when you were in L.A.? 
Oh, okay. Like any stupid German tourist, uh, or any, um, I first lived uh, near Hollywood Boulevard, around the corner from the Mass Chinese. Right. When it was still very seedy. Right. It's changed a lot too. You oh, probably recognize it. Uh, I'd now be at the beginning of the red carpet uh, right. if I still lived there. Then I moved a couple of blocks to the Formosa, uh, to Formosa. Right. That was just nicer building, uh, better quality of drug dealers down in the street, right. way back when. Then I course-corrected quite a bit. I moved to Beverly Hills into the flats. There you go. Then I moved to, well, we called it Brentwood. It was really West L.A. We were like Brentwood adjacent, but sure. like any realtor, we just, you know... Were you near it. Nicole and O.J.? Were you near that? I pocket? wasn't there at the time, but I was very close to, um, to where Nic- uh, Nicole Brown died, yes. Wow. And then I kind of lucked out. I found this... Uh, this guest house in the hills, Laurel Canyon, on Sunshine Terrace. People uh, hated it when I gave them German, people in Germany when I said, oh yeah, my address is 11946 Sunshine Terrace. And they got like, okay, Skarsen, you're either shitting us or you really want to make us Yeah, mad. rub it in our face, why don't you? Exactly. Now, would you have a lot of German friends come and visit you when you were in Hollywood? Uh, quite a few, quite yeah. a few, definitely. You showed them the Hollywood life? And I showed them the Hollywood life. I remember my sister visiting, and she, had, uh, she was just 20. Right. And uh, so I had to create a fake ID for her. I didn't want to become a forger per se, so I just created something with lots of umlauts. Right. Uh, that, you know, uh, that was for actually a fitness center. I put it all in German. Uh, but it looked more that like an American ID like uh, than our German ID. So, and she was a pretty girl, still is. So nobody questioned it. They questioned mine. They questioned my ID because mine said I was uh, five feet tall. Well, I had to tell them at the DMV how tall I thought I was, and I uh, got the centimeter-inch conversion wrong. Oh, wow. I'm 5'10", by the way, just for the record. Yeah, these things happen. We're about the same height. So you had more trouble with your... Um, exactly. That yeah. uh, she was the fake one that I just kind of put together. But I remember from when we would do the interviews and stuff, you're very young at the time, but you looked young, and you still look young. Was okay. that ever a thing? Would you ever walk into an interview and they're like... Wait, are you still in school? Or like, did did people ever think you were younger than you were? Uh, it was it, it was actually my first interview because I wasn't really that well connected uh, right. there. I made some calls. I interviewed Russ Meyer because <laughs> I found him in the phone book. He didn't know he was listed. Uh, but I also interviewed um, Wolfgang Peterson, the director of In the Line of Fire, uh, right. most infamously Poseidon, also does boat a lot earlier. Yeah. And uh, I called his office. He said, "Yeah, okay, come by my um, come by my office on the Sony lot." And we had this nice conversation. And at one point, he says to me, "Okay, let's uh, turn off the recording device." Um, How old are you anyway? Sixteen? Yeah. That was really defensive. I was like, "No, no, I just turned twenty-one." Right. So that's funny. It was funny. It was great. It was great to. Um, uh, be there, meet all those people. Right. I mean, when I was 22, I was sitting uh, at a table in Berlin during the Berlin Film Festival, but I, I still lived in LA. I had just come to Berlin for the festival and I was sitting in there with the director and we were talking and then an older American actor came and said, Carsten, I want to have a word with you. Took, we went into a corner and he said, well, I hear you want to date my, uh, you want to take my daughter out tonight and here are the rules. The actor was Gregory Peck, the director was Billy Wilder, and Billy was laughing his ass off because he knew I was going to get the, if you want to take out my daughter, you better speech. And I was 22 years old. 
What, what, what were the things that he said you better? What, were the, what was on the list, do you remember? Yes, I had to make sure that uh, the driver stayed there with the car, that we only went to this one club, that I didn't leave without her, I wouldn't have dreamed of that. Um, but you did take her out. I did take her out, yeah. That's nice. Was her last name Peck? Cecilia Peck. I love that. That's nice. But you had a Billy Wilder, Gregory Peck moment together. Absolutely. That's amazing. Now, I've always wanted to come to the Berlin Film Festival. You're here, so you're in the midst of it. What's your favorite memory from the Berlin Film Festival? Exactly what I just told you. Oh, because that was part of that, yeah. I mean, how can you top that one? You can't really. You can't. I mean, I did, uh, let's see, second favorite would also be Billy Wilder and Gregory Peck. We were standing in the Zopalas, the big palace, and there was a screening for To Kill a Mockingbird. Oh, wow. And... uh, Coming in, the red carpet, everybody was screaming, flashlights, and Greg apparently wasn't used to it, and he turned to Billy and said, Billy, what's happening here? Why are the Germans behaving like crazy? And Billy just looks up to him and says, well, Greg, Hitler's dead. The Germans need a new hero. (laughs) I sound horrible, so I'm going to try to ask ask questions fast so you can talk. Um, A number of times when we've been hanging out here, you would say something was very German. Like, for example, not to jaywalk. Yep. And what are some of the things that you think are very German in terms of behaviors, and why? Well, Germans are very, try to be very correct, uh, usually. They, so keep the, the, they keep the rules. They, they keep the rules. It's uh, very important for us to follow rules, uh, to be on time, definitely. Yeah. I always made a point of being on time when I was in L.A., but just I wanted to play towards the stereotype. Yeah. Playing towards the stereotype make me stand out in a way. Um, what else? Germans uh, like to... When you're in a certain position, you wear a suit. It's not like suit up in How I Met My Mother. It's like... Yeah, you've worn suits. Or like, yeah, suits. A few times that we've hung out. You wore a suit to gay bingo. Not a tie. That's true. That's Yeah, and now I'm past ties. Yeah. Actually, I used to wear uh, tux with bow ties to big events. Yeah. And uh, But I noticed whenever I did that, people ordered the drinks, uh, tried to order a drink from me. And I'm like, nah, okay, I'll drop the waiter thing. I'll go without yeah. the tie. Right. Have you ever met Clooney? Because he comes here a lot, doesn't I've, he? Yeah, I, I have met him. Um Actually, the first time I met him, I was in the jury of the London Film Festival. Right. And uh, talking about George Clooney, by the way. Oh, oh, not Henry Clooney. Oh, I'm sorry. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> that asshole. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. He sucks. Yeah. But uh, no, no, George Clooney. I um, and I was supposed to go on stage and present our winner. Right. And I was really nervous because I, I'm not a good public speaker, and I, I just hadn't done this before. But I knew I had to overcome it, so I said, "Yeah, I'll do it." And uh, then I got the program, and it's like, okay, I'm going to be introduced by Anthony Mangala, the director of The English Patient, wow. and followed by George Clooney. Wow. And that was, uh, and uh, I think actually we had the same brand of tux, because he looked at me and I looked at him. He got his for free, I had to pay for mine. Yeah, that's how it works. That's always how it works. Um, I, <clears throat> I was fascinated by the history of Berlin when I was, while I was traveling these few days. And, I mean, in California, things happened, but nothing like the trauma that the city has been through in different eras. What is it like to live in a place that's been through so much? I mean, so many, there's the, there's the bigger story, and then there's the personal stories of, you know, just things I learned about 
at the Checkpoint Charlie Museum of people trying to escape from one side to the other. And there's just, you know, it's not like that in the States, unless maybe the Revolutionary War eras, or, mm. or the Civil War era, I'm sure. Like, if you live in a place like Gettysburg, okay, right. then it's Latin with history, but... Um, I'm, I'm literally telling you, a week or two ago, before I came to Europe, I went to a birthday party at Viltello's, where Robert Blake had his wife killed. Like, that's, that's the extent of the trauma in my neighborhood. You yeah. Know? Yeah, here it's different, but I think it's actually for somebody who's lived here as long as... Um, yeah, what does it do? Uh, I think we've been through so much yeah. that the catharsis is already passed. Uh, if you look at it, basically, uh, Berlin it used to be just a village, actually. Uh, on the boat, we drove by the little village, and this was just a couple of houses that started Berlin. Right. Uh, there were much bigger cities here in Germany. Uh, World War One, okay, that one didn't reach us that much. World War Two, of course, we were basically 60% of Berlin was bombed to pieces. The Russians came in, raped uh, any woman inside. I mean... Okay, me as a German, yes, they behaved like animals, but uh, it's not like uh, we hadn't caused a certain amount of frustrations for them. Well, what I was surprised to learn was that they lost more people in World War II than any other nation. Oh, yes, of course. I didn't know that. Why didn't I? I mean, as an American, you think of Germany, you think of Japan, you, you know, I don't know. It's an interesting military fact. They couldn't and shouldn't have won. I mean, let's remember that we were actually getting close to Moscow. Yeah. We, I mean, the German army. Right. Uh, they simply put so many bodies against us. Uh, they won by uh, sheer quantity. Yeah. Not quality. We were more advanced in many things. I'm not saying this with pride. I'm just saying this objectively. Yeah. Uh, but yep, no matter what happened here, they pushed more and more people. Uh, and let's not forget, they might not have won if America hadn't entered the war. And there were many uh, voices against entering the war in the U.S. Well, when I went on my bike tour, um, the, the guy talked about his grandmother the way she talked about the Americans and with such affection and that, you know, the, the Russians brought raping and pillaging and murder and the Americans brought cigarettes and Coca-Cola and Wrigley Spearmint gum. And, and silk stockings. And silk stockings. Very important. Yeah, so... You know, that, that made me feel good, even though... Yeah, Americans brought us uh, not just uh, the uh, Berlin airlift, where yeah, uh, they kept us from starving, uh, they brought us the Marshall Plan. Yeah. And there had been, I read somewhere record recently, that there had been the kind of a veiled promise of a Marshall Plan for Russia. Yeah. But, of course, it never happened. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, Germany prospered. I mean, we owe um, our industrial might to uh, the Americans... Uh, but also to a very important insight. Uh, World War II would never have happened if we hadn't uh, entered into such difficult and um, dooming uh, uh, contracts after World War I. So something like World War II... It, Americans realized that it could never happen again, and the only way to deal with Germany and have it become a partner and peaceful nation was not to put their foot down on us, but instead to give us a hand and help us right. help us up. And you're now one of the, the, the strongest nations, the most economically... You, you always hear that Germany's got it together in Europe, you know? Yeah. So the turnaround 
is it, it considering what you've been through and the destruction and all the rest of it, the turnaround is very impressive. Mm, that's incredible. And what is it due to? Is it a, is there a certain something in the personality of the of the country, or just a, some key decisions like you talked about? Well, the key decisions, definitely, but yes, also something in the personality of the country, because... Discipline. Uh, discipline, uh, a belief in science, education. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Shit. Oh, God. This on the week that Trump is rolling back climate change stuff. Anyway, um, do you guys follow the, the Trumpian madness? I mean, you must, because... Because you've lived in America, and of course. But yeah, but we all do. It's, yes. uh, it's still um, definitely the second topic on all uh, uh, newscasts. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a daily series in a, a newspaper named Die Welt, which I also write for. Yeah. Uh, and it's like, okay, Trump of the day. And it's like, what has he done again? Yeah. I know. When there was... Um, uh, there were, I guess it was Jeff Sessions, the Attorney General... When they were reporting that he had spoken to the Russian ambassador, but they said they didn't talk about the election. I said, that's all anyone in America was talking about, the election. Exactly. I didn't have a conversation with someone that I didn't talk about the election. Of course they talked about the election. You know, it's like, that's all anyone talked about. Anyway, God, my voice must be so unpleasant. No, it, it sounds really good, actually. Oh, shit. All right. Um, I'm going to, you pick some questions from the observation deck, so let's rattle these off. What was your most glamorous night? Okay, give me a quick moment for that one. We can come back to that. Yeah, we have to come. Oh, that could have been the closing night of the Dubai Film Festival, uh, where I was in the jury, in the yeah. critics' jury. And it was the most glamorous. It was, um, we were driven out to a fort in the desert, which was, of course, completely fake. Right. All these trikes running around, drinks, everything. And uh, because my two colleagues couldn't come, I had my driver, so I ran into a couple of friends, a couple of new people that I met, and towards the end we were all put into buses, rather rickety buses, to be driven back into Dubai. And I could say to the guys, um, oh, you want to ride? I have my driver here. They looked at me, yeah, sure. I pulled out my cell phone and went like, Ali, we'll be out in five. It wasn't my gl most glamorous night, but it was certainly my most glamorous moment. And yeah. they looked at me like... He's the man. <laughs> well, because you've been a juror on a number of festivals all over the world. Like, you were telling me Cairo? Uh, Cairo, London, <laughs> Dubai, um, Palm Springs. But when you go to these places, they treat you really well because you're a juror. And there's only a handful of jurors. And they, so you get to go to Cairo, but they put you up probably at the nicest place. It's a very cool way to see places. Oh, absolutely, point. and it's very difficult to come back because then I go back to my apartment, which is a nice apartment, but it's still... I go back from uh, five-star Dubai luxury. Yeah, Egyptian sheets, literally. Exactly, <laughs> literally Egyptian cotton. And uh, then it's, yeah. you know, back to, the, uh, to, to normality. Uh, but, yeah, I need to balance of both, otherwise I'd go crazy because these are hotels. It is, uh, by the way, this is kind of interesting... One of my biggest tricks is, of course, always smuggling alcohol into the hotel because sometimes uh, I'm at hotels where I, I could never afford the minibar. Right. Oh, so you got to go to the, like, 7-Eleven or whatever and... Exactly, and out. then just kind of sneak it in. And Dubai, they were nice enough to put $100 on my room for minibar and uh, hotel bar. Per day? day or the whole time? Uh, per day. Wow! Yep, uh, that was 
pretty hard to get. I, I managed, but you, you, you really had to work to get. I to really get had $100. to work to get my hundred. Uh, That's incredible. Is it stressful to jury a film festival? In other words, do you think, in terms of what, what's going to win or what you're going to vote for, is, is it uh, a fraught process, or is it kind of like you know what? This was the best one. I know what I want. It's only difficult and it's only stressful until you see the first film that's award-worthy. Um, a good film doesn't do it. You have to see one film where you say, okay, I could see myself giving this film the award. After that, it's smooth sailing. Right. But my first... Because uh, you're afraid you're not going to have one that you can really love. That exactly. Way. Where you go like, ah, oh, God, okay. So it, it's like... Uh, it's uh, like having to vote between Trump and Hillary. It's, yeah. You don't want that. You, you really want to, in my yeah. personal opinion, the Sanders, where you're really behind it. Yeah, where you, your heart's in it. Um, was there ever a film that a festival that you gave an award to early on that ended, ended up sort of on the road to something bigger that we might have heard of? Mm, they all went on the road to something a little yeah. bigger. Um, probably the first award I ever gave out was to Men Push Cart by Ramin Barani. Oh, right, I've heard of that. It was his first, uh, the first uh, major award he got. Right. And uh, he has made 99 Homes. Yeah. Has been, uh, is regarded one of the, I mean, he really needs this uh, huge breakout hit. Yeah. But he is uh, doing incredibly well. That's cool. Why do you love movies? I love movies because I'm kind of the appointment, uh, disappointed with uh, real life at times. Interesting. In movies, everything makes sense. But even the sad ones, or even the ones that are not quote-unquote happy. Even tragedy makes more sense than uh, the real life at times. The randomness of real The randomness. Life. Randomness, it's, uh, I, I like the story. I would right. like to... Uh, I, I try to talk myself occasionally into seeing a story and seeing rhyme or reason in my own life. I'm totally doing that in terms of, especially facing disappointments or setbacks. You're like, well, the reason this happened was that da da da. No, maybe it just fucking happened. Maybe it's going to keep happening, and maybe there is no, maybe nothing breaks, and then oh, that makes that was all worth it because of da da. Maybe none of that is. So I'm dealing with that anyway. Um, what song makes you cry? The Rose, Beth Midler. Wow. from the film. Yeah, I still have never seen that film. The film is okay. The yeah. song is one of the most beautiful ever written. It's very easy to play on the piano. I know that because when I started piano lessons in fifth grade, that was like the sheet music that you went for for that easy victory. Um, losing your virginity, thumbs up or thumbs down? You picked it. Well, definitely thumbs up because, yeah. hey, I finally did it, but... Right. Uh, the. Uh, Sad thing is, I lost my virginity at 21. Not that sad. Took me there, but it took me that long in Hollywood to the grandniece of Groucho Marx, who was also a punk rock bassist, and I met her at a Ross Meyer film festival. That's the best sentence that anyone's ever said on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so she was Groucho Marx's grandniece. grandniece. We wow. talked that later on. Yeah. Um, did you see her for a while, or was it like a? Um, a while. It's, yeah. uh, she was an older woman. I was a younger guy. Yeah. Uh, I kind of joked. And this was in Hollywood. You were already in Hollywood. It was in Hollywood. Right on, man. She saw me on stage. I was photographing yeah. Russ Meyer. She came up to me and said, oh, you know, there was a Russ Meyer breast competition. 
Yeah. And she said, you know, you photograph a friend of mine, could I have your number? And uh, it turned out she just wanted to have my number. There you go. She knew one of the girls. And um, uh, strangely enough, there was kind of consistency to it. I think she was in her late 20s. I was uh, 21. And now I'm 46, and I'm still dating girls in their late 20s. I, um, you could say I'm a dirty old man, but I just say, no, I'm not a dirty old man. I'm just very consistent. You're a dirty middle-aged man. Exactly. That's the difference. Thank you. <laughs> okay. You pick this one, too. Are you a good flirt? Terrible at it. Absolutely terrible at it. Occasionally I say something that works, but then it's quite cheesy. I remember I had uh, my most recent girlfriend uh, told me, when I said that I had feelings for her, I mean, there's not this past flirting, but still, uh, she said, no, I, you know, I have been out of a relationship and I really need some time. And I went like, that's fine. I accept it. I respect it. But I'm going to make it really hard for you not to fall in love with me. Well, that's straight out of La La Land. That's a, that's a Hollywood line. It, it was a complete Hollywood line, but her line was better. She said, Carsten, I've been in love with you since the first time I saw you. I really just need time. That would be a good Emma Stone line. That's totally a good Emma Stone line. All right, well, I hope that works out. That's still pending, right? No, that one's over. That's over. All right. Well, uh, but I'll, I'll come up with a better line for the next one. Sure, that was really a good exchange, though. Any award show stories? Uh, my award show stories are, strangely enough, mostly about uh, an award show I put together myself, the German Film Critics Award. Right. Which was a sad little affair. We had it at the Max Ophuls Festival in Saarbrücken. Um, it was critics voting for the best films, best actor, best cameraman, and so on. But they put it on during a festival just before a movie. So we had an audience of people who just wanted to see the fragging movie. Yeah. And we had to go through our stuff. And right. I um, uh, became, uh, I was voted into the supervisory board and went like, okay, we're not going to do this one again. Right. We're going to re- We're going to revisit this. Exactly. I um, uh, basically discontinued the statues, which b- brought me a couple of thousand euros, and talked to ga- um, to companies here, to funding institutions, to some sponsors, and figured, okay, let's just create this as a party. Let's do this as an event during the Berlinale, Thanks that uh, something that people want to go to and say, this is really a great party. And of course, the first year we had the most money we ever had, and not enough guests. I mean, it was okay. But it grew and grew and grew. Of course, the budget went down and down and down. But it's been going on for... I haven't been doing it for the last two years, but um, I'm not in charge anymore, but 14 years. And it's a Berlin mainstay. It's a uh, German film critics party is, uh, is the way to go. Because go to. you were like, screw these expensive trophies. We'll print out certificates and buy booze with the extra money. Exactly. But uh, the only thing is I had to do it all myself since we didn't have money for uh, manpower. And uh, so I did all the guest lists and stuff. And I remember one year, um, the Sybil Kekulé, a very good actress, she was in a Game of Thrones. She's the um, prostitute that Peter Dinklage bets. Okay. And um, she I, she was winning for best actress. And I had I put everybody because all these people, directors, actors, actresses, um, especially the award winners, uh, they come up with a list of ten names, ten friends they want to bring, and I put them all in. I forgot her. And then I'm suddenly walking past the line, and she's telling somebody, I'm not on the list. How could that happen? I'm like, oh, shit. You forgot the main person. It that, happens. It happens. Don't you know who I am? <laughs> Who's the most famous person you've been in an elevator with? 
Um, that's actually uh, kind of sad, Michael Madsen. Yeah, it is kind of sad. <laughs> I know. But I read that and I went like, I should have such a great answer for that one, but let's answer honestly. Was he Michael nice Madsen. at least? Was he okay? I don't think he was ever nice. I knew his okay. ex-wife and... Uh, yeah. He uh, wasn't very nice to her. Okay. Uh, he's actually not very tall. That's interesting. All right. Tell us about when you f saw your first dirty magazine. Uh, well, it, my parents were happily married for, um, I don't even know, more than 25 years. But I noticed at some point that my father had uh, some Playboy magazines uh, sitting right there. On. Uh, always hidden by some other magazines about, right. but they were mainstays. They stayed there. He wasn't a subscriber, but they were there. And, right. Uh, he didn't notice, so I always kind of borrowed a few, not too many. Right. You always, if you're going to steal your brother's porn or whatever, you had to really cover your tracks. Exactly. Yeah. And I did that quite well. That was um, Some of that was 70s porn. Then we went into 80s porn. You remember, when it comes to 70s porn and 80s porn, uh, there's a major difference, and that's hair. Yes, but also like Playboy was like kind of demure, and then Penthouse was more full. Yeah, um, Pen uh, Penthouse was like uh, um, a trade magazine for genealogists. I was never too yeah. much into that, but uh, the glossy Playboy stuff. Um, your class act. Yeah, the first the first uh, Playboy I ever bought was here in Berlin because remember I grew up in a small town. Right. If I went somewhere and bought a Playboy, um, everybody. I would have been, and when we went to Berlin uh, on a weekend trip with the entire family, I went to a place and bought one because nobody knew me. I still remember it was uh, Sherry Konopsky was the girl who was a play. You always, uh, you, you you always, always remember, remember your, your first, first ones. That's right. And years later, I actually had to ask my mother to buy a German Playboy because when I interviewed Gross Meyer, I took a photo of him and uh, his uh, current actress, fully clothed, but it was a good shot, and he yeah. said, could I use it? And he had done a nude layout. And he had sold it to Playboy. So I called my mother and said, could you buy the German Playboy? Because uh, a photo of mine was printed in there. There you go. She must have been very proud. She, she actually was very proud. But so you snuck away on a family trip and bought the Playboy, but you, you, no one in your family knew, and then you came back and you had it hidden. Of course. That's so good. That's so great. You're, so, you're riding back to your little town. You're so excited. Okay. Where's the weirdest place you've ever seen your own image? <laughs> that was also in Dubai. Um, I was in the um, in the opening ceremony. Uh, seated uh, next to me was um, Freda Pinto, the girl from uh, yes, Slumdog Millionaire. Gorgeous girl. Yeah. And um, suddenly it's starting, and there are photos coming up of the jurors. And this was a huge cinema, really big. And the jury president. That was obviously a huge photo, filled the entire screen. The other one, ones were smaller. And I looked at him and I went like, oh, shit. And Frida Pinto said, what? I said, I know which photo they're going to use. And I thought it was going to be a small one in the, um, in the program. It was a wonderful photo done by a celebrity photographer, a friend of mine, black and white. But that was after I had done a couple of days of drinking, uh, greasy hair, three-day beard, which takes me about three weeks to grow <laughs> puffy eyes, cigarette in my hand that looked like a joint, a really cool author photo, but I just knew that one on that big screen 
full size and uh, yeah after it came she was like okay Carson I know what you meant oh I think you you were the bad boy of the festival after that they were all like I want it. that guy looks like trouble I need that have you ever been starstruck all the people you met uh, yes I've, I've been starstruck a couple of times but um, the most starstruck in a way or struck was actually a celebrity you would never really uh, consider have you ever seen the uh, series Rich Man Poor Man I remember it was it Richard Chamberlain no, I don't remember. No, that was uh, Peter Strauss and McNulty. Oh, right, 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 yes. And there was this big bad villain in there called Falconetti. He's actually referenced in uh, John Favreau's film. What was it called again? The Swingers. Your Money film. Swingers, yeah. yeah. Uh, where one guy stays at home and says, I'm going to watch the Richmond Poor Man, uh, 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 I don't know, telethon. And uh, wasn't Falconetti the best bad guy ever? Well, I'm living in L.A. I have this little guest house. My uh, landlady says, oh, I have a little party. Uh, she was always kind of uh, wanted to be an actress. And why don't you come by? So I walk around the pool. And I'm just about to enter the house when right in front of me is this guy, really tall. And I, it was, I stopped dead in my tracks. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. Didn't you play Falconetti in Richmond, poor man? Yes, I did. Boy, you scared the shit out of me when I was a little kid. <laughs> Thanks for the compliment. That's really cool. What's his name in real life? William Smith, I believe. Oh, I, oh, I like Falconetti. You should stick with that. What's the most embarrassing CD you have in your collection? Okay, for a German, that's very easy. Modern Talking, their first one. Okay. They had these, uh, were these two guys who were, well, it was 80s. So um, when I say they look gay, I would say... They didn't look uh, wham gay. They looked like uh, wham meets Liberace on speed gay. They were they were gayer than wham. Actually, they weren't. That was just that was the, just the way they were. That was just eighties. Exactly. Eighties. I'm, I'm not I'm not knocking uh, knocking being gay. I'm just knocking. Uh, yeah, eighties. There was a lot going stuff. on with their look. Okay. Absolutely, and they and had. She songs. liked their music. Yeah, it's like, uh, you're my soul, you're my heart. But, uh, but looking back on it, that was definitely uh, my biggest uh, musical mistake. Even though, of course, uh, with that kind of stuff, yeah. if I listened to it, I wouldn't get it off, out of my head for about a week. Of course. It was catchy. It. What movie have you seen more than any other? Field of Dreams. Field of Dreams is so American. Yes. Baseball. Absolutely. Wow, that surprises me. What is it about that movie? It's about, well, first of all, yes, father issues, probably. Definitely. Nothing, not, nothing wrong with some good father I issues. I didn't play enough catch with my father, right. but then again, baseball wasn't big then. Uh, right. Anyway, uh, it's about dreams, hopes. I was, must have been 17 at the time. I was just in a situation where I had my first rejection by a girl. Even though the film isn't about it, I was uh, starting out into the world and uh, could relate to the thing. What if it doesn't happen? What if I end up in a dead end? And wouldn't it be so great if... And Field of Dreams is a movie where everything makes sense. Right. A guy gets told that he has to um, plow out his, uh, um, down his field and build a baseball uh, field. Okay, fine. Uh, he is told to go to some strange place and talk to, um, to an author. Find Doc Graham... Um, yeah, I like the fact that it made sense, and of course, um, I, I still cry my eyes out 
towards the end. Mm-hmm. Dad, you want to play catch? Camera goes man. up. I just love it. It's pure Americana, but I was always in love with America, even before yeah. I came there. With the sentiment of America. Yeah. What is that? What does it represent to you, that Ameri- American dream, American... For me, it actually represents wishes, dreams, and sentiment over intelligence. So for a German, where we put intelligence first... Vicious dreams. No, not vicious dreams. Wishes. Oh, yeah. Uh, dreams. Sentiment. It's... Uh, over intelligence. Over intelligence. Emotionality. Yeah. Intellectualism. It's, uh, I've always been more, much more drawn to... Emotion over intellectual... Exactly. I, uh, I, I like something that touches my heart more than something that touches my brain. Wow. That's, you're serving it up. What are, what's your favorite perk of your job? Staying in five-star hotels. Uh, and no, actually my favorite perk is that I'm actually paid for my opinion. Everybody has an opinion. But people actually pay me money to... Um, to include yours. mine and my uh, for my opinion or my thoughts. What percentage of your writing these days is reviews, and what percent is features, interviews, profiles? Is it a lot more reviews than? Oh no, reviews has gone down pretty much to zero. Yeah, uh, it's uh, it's difficult in this field because uh, reviews any what well, well, you just turned one in while I was here though. Well, wasn't it a oh. DVD review? Or? Oh, yes, that's true. I, yeah, I do them too. So, yeah, it's, it's not... Uh, I still do that. But it's very hard. Uh, everybody wants special stories, something that nobody else can get, scoops. Yeah. And I've gotten into a position where uh, I can deliver industry stories uh, better than uh, all the review stuff. I'd love to do that. I would have loved to take a piss at Kong Skull Island. I love that movie, by the way. Yeah, we, we talked about it. I mean, I, 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 I enjoyed it for all the wrong reasons. <laughs> I enjoyed it for all the right reasons. I loved it. Okay, if you had to change careers tomorrow, what would you do? Lawyer or banker. Really? Yeah. I mean, just because I'm getting to a point in my life where, I don't know, I wouldn't mind making more money. Yes, thank you. All right, who were your teen crushes? Definitely the girls on television like uh, Heather Lockley and Heather Graham, the, the two Heathers. Heathers. Definitely. And, you uh, told me a funny story about interviewing Heather Graham while I was here. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. Oh, and by the way, I didn't mean Heather Graham, but uh, that's still... Yeah, I, I remember the Heather Grahams. You were thinking of the two Heather Heathers, Heather Lockley and Heather Thomas? Yeah, Lockley and Thomas, exactly. Yeah, they were the Heathers of the, the moment. And that were the television Heathers. The but TV yes. Heathers. Yeah, Heather, uh, Heather Graham, uh, I saw it in a movie called License to Drive, and I couldn't take my eyes off her. I mean, she was just absolutely gorgeous. By the way, Elizabeth Shue in Adventures in Babysitting and Karate Kid, same category. Or, more importantly, Link. The missing Link. She's a young girl who has to work in a manor in England, and there's this ape, and there's even a semi-sexual scene between her and the ape. And the, it's the girl that plays, that's in it? Elizabeth Shue. Oh, Elizabeth Shue is in that? Okay, mm. cool. All right. But getting back to Heather Graham, yeah, I mean, I, I loved it, and I interviewed her. I also said, by the way, I loved you in Adventures in Babysitting. You saw that that was out here? I'm all, uh, no, it wasn't, but I saw it anyway, you know. Yeah, I'm on top of it. I got, I got my ways. Exactly, and it sounded like such a great interview. I had to do it in Hamburg, so I go back on the train, and I go, like, yeah, that was wonderful. I sit home and uh, listen to it, and it's like, all blabber, and not mine, hers. 
It's a little different when you sit across from her and she looks into your she, eyes. You were so into her that you thought she was making sense. Exactly. Her shirt was strategically <laughs> open. I, I fell for that entire thing. That's so good. I wonder if I have any of those. I'm sure I do. Um, but uh, Vigo Mortensen once made me a mixtape. Oh, okay. Wow, that's... We had this little sweet connection. After, and then after the interview for like... I don't know. He sent, he had things mailed to my house, a number of things. Mixtapes. He sent me all... His ex was Exine Cervenka, so he sent me all of the ex CDs. He sent me the um, Mad Magazine with G.I. Jane in it, parodied. Vigo, I don't know. We had something. It's uh, John Wu sent me Christmas cards for a number of years, but you got me beat on that one. Did he make you a mixtape? I have Vigo no, Morrison made John me a mixtape. No, never make me a mixtape. You, you, you so win crazy. this round. I know. I... But I'd never seen him since that interview. I wanted to. Um, where's the weirdest place you've been recognized? Around the corner. I was walking through Berlin and somebody somebody comes out of a, um, of a bar and says, Wait, you're Carsten Castellan. I said, yeah. Turns out he's actually um, a neighbor from the small town I was born in, in Warstein. And once, I once gave a speech in front of a, a high school graduation class uh, about... Uh, the media business and so on. They have these uh, job talks. I actually did quite well. I had uh, the most people come to my speech and runner-up was the Lufthansa pilot. So I beat that That's guy quite, quite easily. Which is kind of surprising because uh, I pretty much... Uh, the first and last thing I told them was don't go into the media business, do something good with your life. Wow. That's what you told them? I wish you'd come to my school. Fuck. Yeah, I said there's no money in it. Yeah. What's the worst costume or uniform you've ever had to wear for work? That would have been when I was an extra in a Sharon Tweed uh, erotic thriller. That's such a great thing. I wasn't paid for it, but it was just like they were filming on the compound I was living on in my guest house. And the produ- I knew the producers. This and was they in said, L.A.? In L.A. And they just said, Carsten, do you have a little bit of time? We need you to play a cop. And I was like, yeah, sure. And so they put me into this costume. It wasn't the worst, but it was certainly the most original. With a plastic gun. And I was just standing there um, with one foot, you know, the typical cop pose. One foot inside the cop car, talking to the mic, uh, ordering pizza. Because you're not supposed to do, as I'm sure you know, blah, blah, blah. You have to say real sentences for it to look real. Yeah. So, yep, that was my, uh, and not even my only exploit as an extra in um, uh, Shannon Tweet erotic thrillers. You were in several. I was in several. You, you kind of had a run there for a while. Exactly. Are any memorable pranks you've played or endured? Um, I did a fun one. When I was a kid, I didn't like sports all that much, and we had this uh, party. It was like we called it Klassen Party, where your entire class just, you know, you throw a party and everybody comes. Right. But there was a big soccer game that evening, and I was never into soccer, still not. Fuck that. Yeah, and all the guys wanted to watch it on television. And right. the girls were like, ah, oh, this is boring. And I was like, oh, I got a nice idea. So I quickly went upstairs, got a VCR, taped part of the, um, the thing, smuggled it into the next room, and then I said to one of the girls, okay, now I want you to go grab the remote and say, okay, this is it, this is a party, and turn it off. And just make sure nobody turns it on within 30 seconds. And she did that, and they turned it back on. Actually, I had her turn it back on, but I told her the channel. And the um, soccer uh, game uh, continued. 
but of course it was the last 20 minutes, so I basically showed them the rerun. It was funny to watch because they were like, didn't he do the same pass earlier? Yeah, right. he did. Took them a while to figure out that I had actually switched off their soccer game and uh, replaced it with a replay. That's very technically savvy. I'm impressed with that. That's How old would you have been? 16, probably. All right. Like, just already with the gadgets. Which have you been more, the dumper or the dumpy? Strangely enough, the dumpy. Uh, almost exclusively, and but I often regret it later on. Well, yeah. That's crazy. I'm sorry. And I've only been the, uh, the dumpy most of the... T- no, the dumper. I'm sorry, I'm the dumper. The dumper's not that fun to be either. I've only been the dumper a handful of times. Yeah, and I would have been the dumpy way more often, but uh, those girls I never got. So there's that. Okay, what's your favorite bad movie? That could quite easily be The Red Dawn. Oh, yeah. John Milius' film. Uh, Oh, like everybody. Uh, Patrick Swayze, Jennifer Grey... um, not Rob Lowe, but somebody, Ralph Macchio. Right. Uh, that one was just one of those, uh, like pretty much there were The Outsiders, Red Dawn, and maybe one other movie, and that had like pretty much of the teenage stars of the time. Right. Why did you love Red, why do you love Red Dawn? Uh, because for me, I was a teenager, it was easy to relate to it, because it's about a small town in America, and suddenly paratroopers are coming down, it's the Russians and the Cubans combined. Right. And these kids now have to go into the mountains and be... Um, revolutionaries and it was such a big idea uh, done rather well I'm not going to call it a great film by the way the William Smith guy the Falconetti guy yeah. played a bad Russian in that one too there, there you go it's, he's got his wheelhouse yeah but I, I just liked this I, I liked the big what if what if the Russians if, if invaded tomorrow and I could immediately identify with these kids. Okay, you know, what do I do? Would I fight? Yeah. Would I not fight? Would I have the guts? How would I do it? Um, it um, even as a bad film, it proved fertile ground for my imagination. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. That's really and, interesting. And when it comes to bad movies, I mean, you can't go wrong with John Milius. With what? John Milius, the director. Oh, yeah, he directed that? Yeah. What other movies did he direct? Uh, he definitely wrote Conan the Barbarian. He wrote Big Wednesday, which I love to pieces, a surf movie. Right. Um, but uh, that was, I consider that a good movie. So that's, it stars Gary Busey, but yes, there are some good movies starring Gary Busey. You know, he's Gary Busey. I'm actually waiting for Trump to nominate him uh, as the ambassador to Germany. That would not be a shock. That would happens. be fun parties. Yeah. <laughs> <coughs> um... Do you have any, like, social media that people can follow? Do you tweet or any of that stuff? Uh, I have a Twitter account. I don't tweet often, but I should do it much more. Otherwise, um, of course, Facebook. Facebook, Carson Castellan. Now, where do you mostly write for now? Do you have one out, certain outlets that you write for the most? I write for Develt. Uh, that's the world. Newspaper. That's the big one. That's the real big one here. That was what our balloon said on Exactly, it. yeah. Our, exactly. our balloon had that branding. Yes, and we could actually see the world in the building, uh, the publishing building from there, too. Sure. Die uh, um, Reinfeldt, and uh, I'm looking around for other outlets. Uh, I've written for some really strange outlets. I've written for a Czech cinema magazine. Nice. They had a special on the German film industry, the business side of it. And I wrote it in English, and uh, they translated it. 
So I, um, my regular outlets would be Die Welt and Rheinfalls, but I take some crazy jobs occasionally because uh, if somebody uh, needs a business, uh, film business expert, and That's then I go, like, okay, I'll do it. And you're the guy. Well, I loved spending time with you. I, so did I. It's been almost, I don't even know. It must be 18 or 19 18 years. 18 or 19 years, and yet it doesn't feel like that at all. Exactly. And I also was reminded of what I, like, my journalism stuff is kind of over. Like, I what I was doing when I met you, that was the time. And so it's kind of like seeing a ghost, in a way, of what I used to do and... Mm. Um, you and me both. I, I mean. know. And that's, like, it's just the nature of the business, but... That was really, like, do you remember the swag bags in the oh. 90s? I mean, just like, yeah. So it was, it was a great uh, reminder of a, of a great time, but this was a great time here, too. So it's 2.30 in the morning. I have a flight soon. <laughs> but thank you so much for, uh, for spending so much time with me, letting me crash in your place. Thank you. Thank you for being here, really. I had a, a time of my life the last couple of days. We've had a blast. We're going to go to Gay Bingo next time I have to come back. Yeah, Gay Bingo is definitely on the list. I know. Time. You're going to go there again I'm without going to me. go there, but absolutely. All right. Well, thank you so much. This has been great. You're very welcome. This All right. Bye. Bye. Thanks again to Carson Castellan for letting me stay there and being interviewed and showing me such a great time in Berlin. It was really special to reconnect uh, after all those years and feel like no time had passed. So, um, and th thank you for listening to my craggy voice on that. All right, so this happened. Well, I'm back in L.A., and I am up to date with all my HBO stuff. That's all I want to talk about. I'm, I really loved Big Little Lies. I had read the book, and I was super into it, and love Nicole Kidman in it. I want her to win the Emmy over the feud ladies. Sorry, I do. There's that. And I'm also really bummed about girls ending because I like girls. I know a lot of people don't like it. Um, I'm in. I find Lena Dunham's voice really interesting. And also I think her acting is great. And she makes me laugh so much as Hannah. And there was a scene this year, if you're watching the show, in a pawn shop involving... Marnie that I just thought as a writer I was so inspired by I just thought oh that was wonderful and that's what that needed to happen with that character so anyway if you're not watching Girls none of that will make any sense but uh, I just want to profess my love publicly alright that's it for this week thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time on Dennis Anyone bye bye